Hello and welcome to The Gaily Planet, a podcast where two queer nerds talk about media we love. I am Lark Malachi Gray. I am Jesse Blount, and this is part two of our coverage of The Subtle Knife, aka the second half of the book, everyone. Sure is. Really quick announcements. This is a reminder that we extended our Sticker Club promo through September because we really do want 40 new subscribers. Um, So if you join by the end of this month, you will not only get this month's sticker, but you will also get two of our previous stickers. And it's super fun, and you should. And while you're supporting us, you should also grab your tickets to our live show on October 19th on Zoom, where we will be talking about the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and it's going to be super fucking fun. It's going to be so cool! So good. All right, so, that out of the way, let me tell you what happens in the second part of this book. In the second half of The Subtle Knife, Will and Lyra obtain the titular object in a fight for their lives, in which Will loses two fingers and becomes the bearer, TM. Despite the fact that Will's fingers will not stop bleeding, they steal the alethiometer back, reunite with the witches, and head off to find Will's dad, following the instructions of the alethiometer. Meanwhile, science babe Mary Malone talks to dust-slash-dark-matter-slash-angels and is told to destroy all of her research and equipment and head off into the other world to quote-unquote play the serpent for Lyra and Will. The witches learn about what Azrael is up to, assembling a massive army to wage war on the Authority, and agree that they should team up with him once the kiddos are safe, only they can't because Mrs. Coulter is back and she can control the specters and they eat all of the witches except Serafina. Lee Scoresby finds the shaman Stanislaus Grumman slash John Perry slash Will's dad and agrees to take him to find the knife bearer who they do not know is Perry's kid. But they are chased down by the Magisterium and Lee dies heroically to save Lyra. R.I.P. R.I.P. It's the worst. It is the worst. Sorry, keep going. Um, John Perry finds Will, heals his hand, tells him to go fight for Lord Azrael because the knife is the key to winning the war, then lights a lantern, leading to them both realizing who they are to each other literal seconds before that fucking witch who cannot read the room kills (laughs) Perry like an absolute asshole. Will then runs into some angels who are like, hey, kid, want some candy? Come with us to war. And he's like, okay, but let me get my friend. Only Lyra is gone. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And for today's headline, the subtle knife has changed hands and changes hands. (laughs) (laughs) 10 out of 10. (laughs) 8 out of 10. (laughs) The jokes just keep on coming. All right, so we are going to turn now to the front page where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. All right, so I'm going to talk a lot about people who are magical in this episode. And Lyra, obviously, capital C, chosen one. Also, she calls it about the blood moss when she's like, oh, after Will loses his finger, she's like, man, I wish we had some blood moss from the bears. 
And what's the literal only thing that prevents Will from dying from blood loss? Some blood moss cell. <laughs> just saying. I know. Yeah. My first note here is just like a little admiration for how hard Lyra is Lyra-ing in the section where they're talking to Sir Charles slash Boreal. She's, she's such a kid in a way that I is so great when she's like, you don't know what a demon is, but yours would be a dung beetle. <laughs> <laughs> she just straight up calls him a stupid, stinky old man. And you're like, yes, go off. I Lyra. mean, which is true. And I have to say, I'm almost, as someone who loves reptiles, almost deeply offended that Lord Boreal actually has a very attractive snake demon when he could just have, right, like a house fly or like a mosquito, like the most disgusting, irritating thing you just want to spray deep woods bugger pellet at. Yeah, fair. Although I do think, well, okay, help me think through this because I was about to be like, I appreciate that you know, the bad people have, like, repugnant demons thing isn't, like, done super heavy-handedly in a way that it would be in the hands of another author, (coughs) J.K. Rowling. Um, (laughs) But at the same time, like, in general, I think snakes are thought of as, like, bad, you know? Um, So I can't tell if maybe the goal was to be, like, he's a bad man because he has a snake demon. I don't know. Like, was yeah. it being heavy-handed and we just happened to be snake, pro-snake people? <laughs> I mean, I guess also true. Yeah, I guess if he had, like, I don't know, a rat or, right, like a scarab, I'd be like, but rats are so cool. He's not a cool rat. He's a terrible <laughs> garbage person. Right. There are no yeah. animals uh, base enough to... To, to deserve to have Boreal as their person. <laughs> Honestly, truly. Um, we get an excellent return of our no-named anonymous tabby friend that Will saves, and she saves them in return. And I just... I know I spoke about that in the, la- in the last episode, but I just love that so much about the cats being the MVP of these books. Yeah, me like, too. That, that kind of know what was going on, but it's like, fuck this monkey, fuck whatever's going on here, <laughs> fuck this world, I'm, I need to get back to my house, to like some real, like good wet food, like fuck all this noise. Yeah, I'm not living on sweetened condensed milk for the rest <laughs> of my life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I love that too. Uh, my next note is just like, can you imagine the moment that they watch that knife just like slide into the metal roof like butter? I feel like you, your brain would be like, I actually can't comprehend what I'm seeing right now. Yeah, I feel like if this wasn't already a like incredibly tense and like sort of ridiculous situation, it'd just be like, okay, wait, I'm sorry, this broke my brain. Yeah. But there's already three other broke my brain things happening. a thing that i also particularly love is that mary gets enough of the warning from dust to like get all her backpacking equipment and snacks and supplies before she has to go on her epic multi-world traveling portal adventure and i just love that for her because for whatever reason Nothing makes me more stressed out than the idea of like, you find a magical doorway. And I'm like, but I need stuff with me. (laughs) Like, I can't just leave without all of my antidepressants or like snacks or like 
bandages. Like, I don't know where I'm going. A water bottle. Right? A water bottle. Something. Yeah. Some salve. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. What kind of, like, bullshit chosen one things you're going to have to do once you show up on the other side. You need, like, you need to be prepared. And I'm glad that she... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, I don't know if this belongs here, but I guess doesn't go anywhere else is a pretty all-encompassing qualifier. Um, so Giacomo Paradisi, the previous bearer, he gives Will brandy or something for the pain, right? And I was sort of like, how do you have Neosporin but not like aspirin? That seems so weird because like, I don't, I feel like on a, another podcast episode we've talked about how aspirin would seem like magic if you didn't have it maybe that was a podcast i was listening to i don't remember but like you know that seems like something they would be hoarding as well you know and is like a much more effective painkiller than alcohol yeah especially since it's like if this is what happens to people who are the knife bearer then you're then you're going to be sort of prepared for the fact that someone's going to lose two fingers in order to be the bearer. And I'm like, yeah, you're not more prepared for this. Yeah. I did also want to note, though, that I do think that he, at least in part, was also giving Will alcohol to make learning to use the knife easier. Mm -hmm. Because I think that... Like, I know for me, sometimes I'm, like, better at reading tarot if I'm, like, a little bit tipsy because it, like makes you not doubt yourself so much, you know, like you get the message and you're just like, I am sure of what I am receiving here and not like you lose that sense of hesitation. So I can see how it would be useful for Will to be like a little, not drunk, but like a little tipsy and perform this magical task, you know? Right. This like also brain breaking ridiculous thing. It's like, you're just going to gonna cut a little, you're just going to get the tip of the knife right into the other universe and then just kind of slice it open. <laughs> right. And then you're going to pinch it closed. And it's like, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing what now? Oh. Um, you know, I think, I feel like we have had many conversations about exposition and how much we hate it. For the, and for the record, these books don't, start off with exposition really but we get kind of a weird segment where like will rehashes his adventures before meeting lyra to lyra and i'm like couldn't we have gotten a like he told her what like he told her what happened before they met with the guy and the cat and it's like i don't need to i don't why are we rehashing this (laughs) see i feel like i understand that like I understand the purpose that exposition like the what happened in the previous book serves and I think that it makes sense to have it to assume that people won't have reread the book before reading the sequel that maybe came out like two or three years later Mm -hmm. so like I actually think that the exposition in like this book and in the Lord of the Rings books and honestly I think maybe even in like the Percy Jackson books are what I'm looking for in exposition where it feels natural, 
you know, it's not like in Harry Potter where every book starts with like an omniscient narrator telling you what happened. What did you miss if you didn't read the previous book? But instead it comes up naturally in conversations where Mm -hmm. and where it's relevant, where you need that information instead of like front loaded. So, yeah, I'm okay with it. It doesn't bother me to have it there. I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of just like, and mostly because I was reading this book today, I'm like, I don't have time for this full Pullman. I gotta get yeah. to <laughs> Let me tell you how much I did not read of the whole balloon landing scene. <laughs> it There's... was just like, click, click, click on my Kindle. Just like, get me to the to the battle. I gotta go. I also, I also was skimming that. I'm like, cool, a lot of technical things about being in a balloon. Don't care. <laughs> yeah, I have zero notes to take about this and zero time to read it. Thank you very much. Yep. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the wild and the wild world of having ADHD and making a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So I hate Boreal, obviously, but he does have some like great lines. And one of them is that when Mrs. Coulter is doing some exposition for us in case it's been a while since we read the first book um, and tells him that Azrael is waging a war on God, Boreal says... How medieval. <laughs> I like laughed out loud. <laughs> he is, he is, when he's not being a complete creeper, he is very sassy. He gets some good villain lines. Yeah. I think. Where he's just like, oh, okay, cool. What, whatever your weird ex is doing. Thanks. Yeah. Um, let's get to talk about me and you, though, Marisa. Um, yeah. More about this. <clears throat> Speaking of medieval, so we have uh, Rudiscari. Talking, talking up Lord Asriel and how everyone and their mom is like joining the fight against God with Azrael. Uh And she's like, birds with spurs and lizards and apes. And I'm like, Lord Azrael has motherfucking dinosaurs fighting for him. I just want everyone to be aware of this. I'm like, there's dinosaurs. They're there. They can talk. And they're fighting to kill God. Hell Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I understand what Scotty's excitement about this. She's just like, literally, the, the party is here, y'all. It's here. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very cool. Um, and I'm sad that we don't meet more kinds of people when we do get to the war, you know? Yeah. I feel like the only non-human people that we meet are the Galavespians, really. And the, um, Mufalado is a sandwich, it's not the name of that species that... Mary's chilling with. Malefa. Malefa. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Everyone muffled as a sandwich. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> yeah, but they're, the Malefa are not part of the war. That's true. They're they're just chilling. Yep. Uh, yeah. Okay. I fucking love that Will is like, Lyra, go around the house and like toss some stones at the windows to distract them. And Lyra goes and just fucking breaks every window in the house. <laughs> Never do something by half when you could do more. And... God bless her. <laughs> Especially when you're a rich douchebag like Lord Boreal. Hell yeah, break all his like fancy ass windows. Fuck that dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. It's so funny. Speaking of Lyra, um, the bit towards the end of the book where her and Will are just sort of like hiking in the woods slash up a mountain with the witches. I feel like Lyra seems so excited to be on a hike in the woods. And I'm like, it's because you're a city. Like, you lived in Oxford your entire life. And then you were in London. And then you had a very wild time in the north. 
And like, you just never like been in a hike in the woods. And she's just like, oh, a fawn, like some trees. And I'm like, oh, liar. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's nice. You know, it's like so nice. Everything's going to suck from here on out for the next week and a half. But I'm glad you had this, <laughs> this half a day yep. chilling in the woods. Yup. Um, okay. My last thing here is that I feel like both kids get, I mean, Will's isn't really. Anyway. Both kids have a sort of like queer moment towards the end of this book. Lyra, I feel like, has a very clear sort of baby gay queer awakening when she sees Ruta Scotty for the first time. (laughs) She sure does. She's so beautiful (laughs) in a way that's much more than just like, you know, a kid noticing. It's very much like a preteen being like, oh, my God. Especially because Lyra has been hanging out with a bunch of witches. And she's like, but this witch, something about her. It's that party girl Leo energy that Ruta <laughs> Scotty is bringing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the one with Will is just that when... I don't know, I must have missed it earlier in the book when his dad's cloak is described. So it's like the first time I noticed is when Will puts it on is that it's like feather trimmed. And so I just imagine that he looks like a baby drag queen from here on out wearing this A little bit, yeah. (laughs) I'm actually glad that that is your last point because my last point is that we've had this through line of like, Will metaphorically taking up his father's mantle and then he literally takes his father's mantle and I'm like okay Phil thanks like you (laughs) you really had to be like but no literally guys he he puts it on his shoulders because he's both literally and metaphorically going on with the work that okay anyway yeah totally (laughs) it's it's like a little silly but also not it's a very intense and emotional scene so you're just like I know um, I feel like we should let people know that you are in a room full of kittens. So, yeah, any meowing, weird sounds, thumps, tiny footsteps. Your house isn't haunted. <laughs> it's just kittens. Welcome to Community Profiles, where we talk about character development or really just characters that we met. I was going to start with John Perry, if that's cool. Mm-hmm. I have in my notes as Magic Dad. Yeah. <laughs> we have Balloon Dad and we have Magic Dad. Right. I feel like Balloon Dad is like a Her Dark Materials TM. Yes. Yeah. So I, I first off want to say, because I have the people and their demons as like one thing, because they are. Uh, I love that our like official intro to John Perry is Cyan Couture like spying on lee and then like dramatically closing her like pine branch (laughs) so dramatic so dramatic i really love her yeah and you know john perry actual magic has an external demon from living in lyra's world for 12 years um and is also about to keel over from cardiac arrest at any second yep but he's useful. Is he's a useful dad here. Yeah, yeah, and right. He's he's literally magic. He is as sassy as his demon. I honestly, I feel like two thirds of the things that he says are just like needlessly dramatic in a way that I extremely appreciate. Especially to Lee Scoresby, who is pretty unflappable. Yeah. 
uh, considering all of the weird shit that he's like seeing and getting into. So it's, it's very much like he's saying these like incredibly dramatic things and Lee Scorsby's just like, okay, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I super love when Lee is like, I thought shamans could fly. And John Perry's like, I needed to fly. I summoned you. Look at me now, fucking flying. And you're like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. But like that shit where he pulls out a ring that like Lee Scoresby lost like 40 years ago is outrageous. I know. I would also be like, what the actual fuck is happening? I, I'm so mad that we don't know how he got the ring. I, I feel like that should have been in the book, you know? Yeah. I have a little about this in editorial, but like the fact that he can do, we see John Perry, he summons a storm and then dream shares with Lee Scoresby, like sending a, a like specter to eat a Zeppelin Kaplan and then like getting a forest full of birds to attack another Zeppelin. And I'm just like, you literally just moved here, my dude. <laughs> like, how? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, it's neat. I, I, it makes me wonder, like, how magic he was in his, you know, previous life, you know? Yeah. Was it unlocked when he got to this world where magic is sort of more available? Or was he always sort of a little bit spooky, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the fact that I think, like, maybe Lee asked him about something and he's just like, I'm a human being. I had... We learned everything. I had to, like, learn this stuff. And I'm like, you know, maybe that's all it takes in Lyra's world to unlock your magical potential is just to learn how to do it. Yeah. Which is just like, you would think that a character who is like, he was a, like, ex-military explorer type. You'd be like, this is like a dick. And then it's like, oh, no, you sound cool as fuck. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I think it also might be, like, he's living in a world where he's not tied down by capitalism in the same way because this is a world that will still be like oh you are a person who likes you know thinking deep thoughts and you're better at it than other people so we'll just give you money to think deep thoughts for us and you know our world is not that anymore right it's like oh you want to you want to learn stuff that's cool you pay us <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I know. I feel like, because, right, because John Perry is described as sort of being curious about a lot of things. And, like, to be honest, as someone who is in real life curious about so many things, I'm just like, I couldn't imagine being in a whole different universe and being like, everything I know is just, it's it's just different enough. I'm like, well, now I gotta relearn all this other shit. Right. You know, tell me about Arctic foxes. I want to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, do you have anything else about him? Uh, I do not. All right. The only other person I have here this time is Lee. I He's amazing. Yeah. I love just like how many times he makes Perry swear an oath, an actual oath that he's going to help lyra and it doesn't seem like it's because he doesn't trust him so much as he's just like reiterating how important it is and just you know the abundance of like i fucking love this child in his chapters is 
just, you know, a lot. I feel like every time he's like, this is the daughter that I never had. And I'm like, oh my God, Lee, you're such a good dad. And I think it's a little bit debatable if he gets into this whole thing, even in the golden compass where he's just like, I'm here to get paid. I'm just a simple balloon guy. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know if I quite believe that story. You being such a simple balloon guy trying to save money to be on the ground. It's like you are into your balloon and into having weird adventures. And like, yeah, I think as soon as he met Lyra, he's like, well, you're my kid now. I got wherever, whatever's going on with you, I'm in. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. And he, and we just, we see it. Right. It's with his desperately working very hard to get John Perry to Lyra to help whatever he can to, of course, his heroic and untimely death, which is just like still like hard to read. I'm always just like, yeah, it's. It is. It's really hard to read. I'm sure that I cried the first time that I read it. I didn't this time, but also I was like kind of reading in a hurry. <laughs> it's okay. Honestly, I honestly I skipped over it a lot. Cause I'm just like, this is this is still too. I'm like, I still hate reading it. I'm like, I'm glad that he's like taken out an entire platoon of dudes with just a shotgun and the sharp sights of his of Hester. But like, it still sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a couple things. I, the line, obviously, it seems to me the place you fight cruelty is where you find it. And the place you give help is where you see it needed is like the best words to live by, honestly. Yeah. Put that tattoo it on your body. Put it on a cross stitch. Put it in your house. Like, also, what a great dude. Because like, yes, that is, that is the correct way to live your life. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So, yeah. Oh, he's such a good guy. Yeah. Even when he's, like, actively dying, he's like, I can't shoot that guy in the back. I love that Hester is, like, the devil on his shoulder through this whole fight scene where she's like, be ashamed to die with one bullet in your gun, though, wouldn't it? He's like, fine, I'll blow up a Zeppelin. (laughs) Which is very, like, you know, TV show hero thing to do where it's like, I didn't kill them explicitly. I created a scenario in which they died. So I'm not responsible. And I'm like, okay, Buffy. (laughs) Right. Actually, I was, of course, thinking about uh, Ed Teach and his, like, I haven't killed anyone directly. Technically, the fire killed those guys. Technically, the fire killed those guys. Yeah. Technically, the Zeppelin exploding killed that last guy. So actually killed, I think, like six guys. (laughs) Probably. Yeah, I think it said there were, like, several left and um none of them made it so yeah way to kill seven bad guys with one bullet and honestly if it's part if they were part of uh miss Coulter's zombie uh, uh, army of dudes that had had their demons cut away like i don't think they were maybe they were i don't think they were i think they were like the magisterium fighting dudes anyway it doesn't matter they're bad guys, whatever. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no big loss. I told I just have a smidge about Mary Malone, who we again see pretty briefly in this book. But she does a lot. Like she cobbles together a computer program in order to talk to Dust 
and then Dust is like, uh, you have a part to play in this, like, war against heaven. You have to go help Lyra. Also, you gotta destroy your entire research because that asshole Oliver Payne is gonna use it for the military. And she's like, well, yep. smash, smash. Yeah, what? she's such a hero. I love her. I think, you know, she's really the only person from our world who is an adult that is, you know, just a, a person. Mm-hmm that we have in these books and she's such a hero. And so like, I don't know. She's just so cool. Um, I'm so glad I know. we have her. I know. I feel like I've always liked her as a character because like as a child, I'm like, who doesn't love a badass lady scientist? But like as an adult, I'm like, so much shit is happening and you're just like rolling with it. <laughs> it's like, yep. Welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up. Um, I guess, do you want to sort of stay on Mary and talk about Oliver Boreal funding, etc.? Yeah. Oliver Payne's the actual fucking worst, for starters. He's like the fucking worst. And I think that... In 2023, also very recognizable as so many, like, tech science douchebags, where it's like, uh, nah, Mayor, I'm gonna bail on this project. Oh, actually, this rich dude is gonna give us a lot of funding, even if it means that we're gonna help the military, like, manipulate and kill people. Who cares? I'll get power and prestige. And Mary's like, you motherfucker. Yeah, totally. Like, uh, he's just, like, so recognizable now in a way that makes me uncomfortable that he's just like, yeah, Yeah, I love, you know, he's like, I'm leaving. Fuck all of this. You know, like, I'm out. I'm going to Geneva. And then when Boreal is there, not once, but twice, Mary's like, I thought you were fucking leaving. I thought you were going to Geneva. And he's like, shut the fuck up, Mary. (laughs) I'm like, no, keep saying it, Mary. This dude deserves to be made uncomfortable. I didn't sign a contract, Mary. I still work here, technically. Right. Ugh. Go fall in a hole. Ugh. Exactly. Yeah. Ugh. Boreal is just the worst, but the fact that he's in our world doing the exact same bullshit as he's doing in Lyra's world, which is, like, really heavy on the, like, um, militaristic controlling people bullshit train. I'm like, ugh. Mm." And it's, it's so frustrating because you can definitely imagine why a like educated sounding cishet white dude like Boreal could just literally stroll into our world and like five minutes later is like a knight and has all this money. You're just like, you motherfucker. Yeah. I mean, also the patriarchy is a motherfucker, but I'm also just like, oh. Yeah. He's so gross. Do you think he's really a knight? I don't think he's really a knight. I don't know how that works if anyone checks to see if any just random dude who's calling himself sir or whatever. I mean, he faked all of his papers. Like, surely he has, like, a fake birth certificate and a fake fucking everything. It seems like he could fake whatever was needed to. Yeah. And I, and I guess, like, who's going to check, I guess, you know? Right. He's, like, a Rolls Royce in, like, a fancy house and, like, I'm sure a very expensive linen suit. So everyone's just like, you must be this powerful dude. Right, exactly. Uh, my only other thing about that whole thing with Mary is just like, 
this poor, I just the part where Boreal's like, I could, you know, get them to approve your funding. And she's like, isn't that like done on like peer review and whatever? And I was like, oh, Mary, like, how did you make it this far into academia and still believe that? Like, you poor, naive creature. This is why her funding is about to get cut is because yeah. Mary isn't playing that game uh, and like going through official channels. And I have to say that as someone who realized a lot after the fact that there's a lot of unspoken just cheating and like upper academia to get funding and to like get ahead that I'm like, but wait, ever, no one's just being doing the thing that they said. I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, if you're neurotypical, you pick that up. And if you're not, you're just like, wait, what? Yeah, I mean, I also think it's like, how much do you care about fairness? Because I think that the more sort of sturdy of a moral center you have, the harder it is to like, take in and accept how corrupt the world is. Because it's like, but why, but why would it not be the way that it's supposed to be the way it's supposed to be is like, good and fair you know and based on merit right and not based on schmoozing or just like being a white dude or like oliver perry just like i don't need to have ethics or morals as long as i get that money right so yeah and also right and i think there's something to the fact that you know mary is the kind of person who even once she knows that is going to be like well well, then, like, fuck the whole system, I'm out. Like, I would never do that. So it, like, does kind of make sense to me that since she is still in academia, it's because she's been, like, passionately ignoring all of the signs that it's super corrupt, because otherwise she would have left a long time ago, you know? Yeah. What do you want to talk about next? I I guess I'd forgotten that we get a, like, sort of inside POV perspective of what it feels like for a specter to eat your soul. Mm. And it really just does sound like depression (laughs) in a way that is like, it makes sense that Will would be like, I think there's specters in my world also, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. Sorry. I have like two different like (laughs) data streams that I need to just take one at a time. Yes, the description that we get from Lena when she's sort of being spectered is definitely different from what I would expect because the way that people behave when they are have been spectered, it always makes me think of Serenity, the movie, like when they get to the planet where the Reavers came from and they're just like, it was, it was the Pax. Like they just, like people became complacent to the point where they just like couldn't be bothered to like eat or drink water and they all just let themselves die you know Mm -hmm. which i think is really different to me than like what she describes which is like more devastating right like you have to be something other than indifferent to like feel that bad and i feel like i would have expected it to be more of a like numbness maybe in a way that's not that is feelings neutral like you have no no association with it it's just like nothing you know yeah complacency to the to the extreme is my one and then the other is that i also have here like 
I can see why Will is like, maybe there are spe- maybe the specters came from my world. And also, I think that's mostly, I can see why Will would want that to be the case. Want there to be mm-hmm. an explanation for his mom that isn't like, her brain is wired differently, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure the huge trauma of losing her husband and having to take care of a small child by herself didn't help that. Right. Yeah, it is. And it's kind of weird how it's like how when we get the sort of internal description of what the specter is doing to that one witch versus what we see happening to the like people of Chittagatse, like the adults. And maybe part of it is just knowing it's going to happen or like expecting it to happen looks worse than like being like, surprise, some ghost is consuming your demon, you know? Yeah. But... Yeah, it seems, it seems to be like the descriptions of what the specters do do seem to be like sort of all over the place, I guess. Because we have John Perry saying that they feed on conscious and I conscious and informed interest, like like people who have a conscious and informed interest in the world, and that it doesn't work on kids. Right. <laughs> Which I I'm almost kind of like, okay, I I feel like if that were the thing, then maybe it would work on Will and Lyra. Then, if, but yeah, okay. Yeah, I agree. I I think maybe everyone's just sort of grasping at straws when it comes to explaining, because no one understands why there's this difference between kids and adults when it comes to specters or demons or dust. Yeah. I really hate the part where there's that kid who's like about to hit specter ability and it says that they're swarming around him like flies on meat and i'm like fuck that line oh no it's like it's like terrible and also skin crawlingly like awful yeah totally um yeah and like honestly i feel like up to that note it kind of makes sense why all the children of chitagatsi are so feral and awful I mean, growing up with the, like, even a couple of specters being a thing seems awful. And then for all of a sudden, in, like, a week's time, an entire army of specters showing up and, like, eating all the adults. Like, these kids have a shit ton of shit going going on. Like, yeah. it's just a shit ton of trauma. And, you know, Lyra killing Angelica's brother, or Will killing Angelica's brother. They just, like, it, if it wasn't that, it would be something else for them to kind of just, like take all of their feral rage and sadness and direct it onto something. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome to editorials where we rant about stuff. All right. I read the scene, the fight scene where Will loses his fingers like six times yesterday. And like, I'm actually have decided that I'm very annoyed about it. I know that not making a point of like the moment where Will loses his fingers is the point. I'm annoyed because the entire scene is Will kicking someone. And then at the end of it, he's lost his fingers. Like at no point, I read it so many times at no point does his hand enter the fight, nor is it described as like Tulio getting the knife anywhere near the upper part of Will's body. And I don't like that. Like, like, at what, like, he should have tried to punch him at least once. Like, there should be one instance where we hear that Will uses his hand. The, okay, yeah, I don't have my book handy. I feel like I've also always been kind of like, wait, when does this happen? 
Like, because I know there's a moment where he has the rope wrapped around his hand and he's, like, sort of, like, blocking and, like, holding it out. But, like, right, at no point is there, like, wait, what? when did this knife even get close enough to him for him to lose his fingers? Yeah, I will read it and maybe we'll find something that I missed. Okay, so he has the rope and he has wrapped it around his left hand for protection against the knife. He Mm -hmm. moved sideways between the young man and the sun so that his antagonist had to squint and blink. Even better, the glass structure threw brilliant reflections into his eyes, and Will could see for a moment that he was almost blinded. He leaped to the man's left, away from the knife, holding his left hand high, and kicked hard at the man's knee. He'd taken care to aim, and his foot connected well. The man went down with a loud grunt and twisted away awkwardly. Will leapt after him, kicking again and again, kicking whatever parts he could reach, driving the man back and back toward the glass house, if he could get him to the top of the stairs. This time the man fell more heavily, and his right hand with the knife in it came down on the lead at Will's feet. Will stamped on it at once, hard, crushing the man's fingers between the hilt and the lead, then wrapped the rope more tightly around his hand and stamped a second time. The man yelled and let go of the knife. At once, Will kicked it away, his shoe connecting with the hilt, luckily for him, and it spun across the lead and came to rest in the gutter just beside the drainage hole. The rope had come loose around his hand once more, and there seemed to be a surprising amount of blood. Yeah, no idea. Right? Yeah. It just seems like there should be, like, some wrestling or, like, a punch or, like, a swipe something that's not just Will, like, kicking a dude a bunch of times and then losing two fingers. Yeah. No, that's, that is fair. That, yeah. Because, yeah, right. At what time does that happen? If anyone is like, no, I totally get it. I can pinpoint the moment that you're supposed to read this. Please email us. Hashtag ruthlesspods at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, it kind of sucks for Will uh, that his his big his big item loves fighting and blood, and it's like actually, if you want to carry me, you got to lose two of your fingers. Like that sucks. Yeah, totally. No, no one else's uh, titular item causes them any harm, but uh, Will really can't catch a break at this point in the book. <laughs> no, he really can't. All right, what's your first thing here? All right. Okay. So we touched a little bit about this, but I'm kind of like, so is everyone in Lyra's world just capable of magic? Because, okay, we so we know the witches are magic. It's a genetic magic whatever thing. But then we have John Perry, who just like stroll up in here and like 10 years later or five years later, or who knows how long it took, is a like shaman who can perform incredible feats of summoning that we really don't even see except with Lord Azrael, where he's like amassing this army across the multiverse. And you're like, how? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so you clearly have some magic and whatever Miss Coulter's entire deal is some sort of like in also influencing her will onto people. And so I just am like, there's something with that. I don't think everyone in Lyra's world is magic, but I do think that people who are magic are obviously caught up in this quest. I definitely think that both Azrael and Mrs. Coulter are magic workers. I don't know what the word is in a world where there's like actual witches as like a, you know, semi different species. Yeah. And maybe because a lot of the second half of the book I like was really trying hard not to bring up any comparisons to Harry Potter, especially with the knife and the specters, obviously. 
But I'm also kind of like, so if dudes who are witches just live regular lives and aren't living for a thousand years, and like, presumably those folks are also having kids with just regular humans. And I'm like, if anyone's going to have some witch blood in their lineage, it seems like it'd be Azrael and Miss Coulter, honestly. Yeah, totally. (laughs) But I think also it seems like they're working a different kind of magic than the witches are working too. It's much more... I don't know what to compare it to. It's like they're both very charismatic in a way that like almost like ensnares people. Yeah, well, I mean, we get in this. I think Ruta means it when she's like, I think Azrael can control time. And I'm like, yeah, literally, that's the only explanation that makes any fucking sense for how he has done what he's done in the amount of time that he's done it in. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mean Time Lord Azrael? No. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Um, yeah, is the intention craft a TARDIS? Who knows? But I, yeah, it's, it seems like the witch's magic is like spell based, you know, even their like invisibility thing. It's like a kind of spell that they're doing. Whereas Azrael and Mrs. Coulter seem to be doing more like summoning, like just, just doing magic with no barrier in between. I'm having the hardest time describing what I mean, but they're just like using power to make a thing happen without yeah. having to like do work to make that happen. Yeah. In a way that seems very similar to John Perry, right? So yeah. it's possible that, you know, in another timeline, Azrael would just be someone that was considered to be a shaman if that was, you know, the path that he had chosen or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the whole sort of like, once we get into the next book where it's like, all of these pieces have been moved on a giant multi-dimensional chessboard to get Will and Lyra in the places they need to be. So it's like, is this magic sort of like Lyra's ability to read the lithiometer, where it's like they have it because they need it in order to be more powerful pieces on the board, if you will? I don't know. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Azrael and Miss Coulter are witches, not in the way that... Uh, it is used in this book, but in the gender-neutral way that we use witches. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because, like, how is Miss Coulter all of a sudden able to control specters? Like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> She's just, like, the toppiest top that has ever existed. She's like, sounds like I can control that. And you're like, yeah, it does, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that, that's literally her magical power, is being able to just out-top whatever the fuck. I mean, she literally does it to an angel in the next book, so I'm like... yeah yeah exactly (sighs) yeah speaking of angels we learned that dust is angels dark matter is angels um angels are apparently the glue that holds the universe together okay um and they're fucking so sassy and impatient and there's something about an impatient immortal being that just makes me so happy It is really funny, even though I do have a thought about that in that. So there's like actual like angels that people can kind of see. And then there's like dust itself. And I feel like when we when Mary is like at her computer talking to dark matter, part of me assumes that it's like we're angels because that's what's going to be the quickest connection for Mary to make sense of what's going on. Hmm. And not necessarily like 
it is angels as much as it like. This is a framework that we can describe to you because I have literally five seconds to tell you what to do before this is all going to hell. <laughs> so. Interesting. All right. That makes more sense to me, actually. Because it seems like dust slash dark matter. It's more like the collective unconscious, you know, right. than it is. It's just weird to think about it being angels because, right, angels are like actual beings. And also just a very like Christian centric idea, which I'm like, okay, but dark matter is like across the multiverse. So like not, yeah. not everyone's going to have like not even plenty of religions here on Earth don't have fucking angels. So I'm like, what, what are we doing? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, and the angels being made of dust. Yes, obviously, they're made of maybe more dust than humans and other beings are. Yeah, that makes more sense. But yeah. I I um seriously adore the way that they communicate with Mary, which is so rude. Um, <laughs> which is so funny. Like imagine you've been alive since like the Big Bang and someone's like, hey, can we talk? And you're like, only if you hurry the fuck up. Like <laughs> I I don't have time for this right now. Ask the right questions and do it immediately. And you're like, really? <laughs> like, I mean, she did have a very strict timeline because she was literally about to lose access to her lab like in like 12 hours of her like rolling up to her lab at night. So, fair, yeah. Fair. Um, still, they're very rude and I love it. Yeah. I guess that, does that make sense that like this sort of universal consciousness would be sassy and mean? Because like presumably that is where humanity even has the capacity to cognitively do that, I guess, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I don't know that they're mean so much as like, I mean, it does make me think about, you know, when you ask Tarot the same question twice and it's like it gets shorter and shorter with you every time that you do it where it's like, I told you. And so I can see how it's like, I am a whatever. And I know like the actual answer to this and like. I told you and you didn't listen. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Just <laughs> just go. There is no room for, like, wanting more information here. It's This is a yes or no question. And I told you the answer. Yeah. Uh, I just have one, one more thing here. Cool. What is it? Which is this witch. Oh, my God. Who kills John Perry because she has the emotional intelligence of a, like drunk 19 year old sorority girl i'm just like are you what i know my, my literal note is bitch get some perspective right like what the actual fuck are you doing and i feel like that the rest of the witches that we meet it's like you can't imagine seraphina pecola like killing some dude and herself because some dude rejected her she'd be like whatever you're lost or the witch equivalent of that. And then, like, peace out. Right. Like, what? Ruta Scotty would 100% kill a dude for rejecting her, but she wouldn't do it later. She would do it right then. Yeah. I mean, like, when we meet her, it's like some people were rude to her, so she killed their god, made a necklace out of its teeth, and then made them beg to have her be the replacement god, and then was like, no, bye. You're like... That's terribly inappropriate, actually, Ruta Scotty. So, like, she would fully kill someone who tried to reject her, but, like, not in this, like, harboring 
vengeance for like years way that Judah Judah Kaminen is that her name? I feel like it's, I had the audio book. I feel like it's like I feel like the J is pronounced. Oh, because they're in Nordic country, so it'd be like Yuda. Yuda, I think. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'm like, girl, there are so many other dudes, if that's what you're into, that you don't have to kill this one dude in yourself. Like, yeah, and even if it was like important, I feel like, again, read the room. This is clearly not the moment. If you got to kill this guy later. Could you have waited literally 10 more minutes? Just like. They're in the middle of something like this child that you're sworn to protect is clearly in the middle of something. And she's like, "Mm, now's my moment. No, it's not. Now is not your moment. You are incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's like the witches are so cool. But then like this happens and you're just like, what is up with what? Yeah. You can't just behave like this. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I want to sort of piggyback on that, too, because I actually don't think that this does anything for the book. And I don't like I think it would make so much more sense, especially because Will is like, what's up with your heart? And John Perry is like, I'll be better soon in a way that's like, I'm about to die. And I'm like, wouldn't it have been better if he just died of heart failure? Because he's clearly about to die anyway. So this just adds this like extraneous, unnecessary thing. And I don't. I don't understand why it's there. You know, that's a really good point. The only thing it caused is for Will to need like another five to 10 years of therapy. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it is deeply weird. Yeah. And also just like, you like, you're, you're going to be a thousand years old. Like, are you really going to kill yourself for this dude? I think she kills herself because Will is like, you just fucked up so bad. And then she's like, oh, I just fucked up so bad. And I'm still like on my drama bullshit. So let me just like go even harder. I mean, I guess that's fair because Will probably would have would have killed her if she did not. She deserved it. <laughs> it's like, which, which moms teach your children bet? Like what? I just, I know. yeah. I mean, for people like Ruta Scavi, you're just like a very intense party girl you do what you want like that's the kind of energy you're just like i can't do anything about (laughs) like i don't know all right uh my last thing here is that i think that philip pullman should write his like x-rated fanfic about his own stories on ao3 and not (laughs) in the published book actually tell me more absolutely not to the scene with the monkey and the snake like so profoundly absolutely not it is weirdly and uncomfortably sexual um yeah it i'm sorry it says the monkey ran his hands along the emerald serpent again and again squeezing just a little lifting stroking what the fuck i was really uncomfortable about that i'm like oh why is that here seriously is this like second base and like lyra's world because i feel like i'm like i'm just like what's happening that is fourth base that is they, (laughs) they are fucking i don't know like literally like this is this reads like someone writing demon on demon fanfic and it's just in this book and i hate it yeah we get an immediate fade to black about Azrael and Riscotti, but then we get this like extended scene about like Miss Coulter jerking off Lord Boreal before she kills him. 
So, yeah. It's like we saw, like, you know, sexy demon times in the last book. The fact that it's a snake makes it like a million times more. (laughs) It's like I can handle, you know, like a monkey and a leopard being like, hey, but like a monkey literally jerking off a snake is like, you have gone too far, sir. You you need to be stopped. Who let this? Where is your editor? I need to talk to them, actually. Yeah, it is very uncomfortable in a way that I think I maybe didn't pick up as a kid. And now I'm just like, oh, ugh. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, hearkening back to what you said about the like fade to black with Ruta Scotty, where it's like all of the adults understood and the kids had no idea. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what's happening here to some extent, I think. But like, it also simply doesn't need to be there. It's doing nothing. No adult is like, I'm glad this is here, which should be the litmus for whether or not you're sneaking (laughs) in things that kids won't get till later is that someone should want to read it, but no one wants to read this. No. Okay. Clearly very ranty rant from me. <laughs> no, I mean, that that's a good rant. I'd almost forgotten how weird and gross that was. Welcome to the health and science section where we talk about magic and science and research that we did. Uh, so let's talk about demons first. We learned some more things about them. Yeah. Like, at least at this point, as deeply as Lyra and Pan are connected. Sometimes your demons can just do shit. Like, Pantalaimon just comforted Will and, like, licked his hand. And she was like, I had no idea you were going to do that. And that's very weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like, my best friend doesn't have a demon. So I guess this is what I'm doing. And then more interestingly, I think, is that we learned that, like, and I'm sure this is different for witches. But if your demon is, a, if you're, if you're asleep, your demon is also asleep. I think that makes sense. Yeah, because we get Lee Scorsby being, like, so weird to look at Hester when she's asleep because he's, like, probably never seen her actually asleep before because when they're actually, because when he's actually asleep, she's actually asleep. Right. Yeah. Um, I have a little bit of demon stuff, too, um, because we've talked before about the sort of distance thing and does, like, how far away your demon can go depend on their shape or form or whatever. Because uh, Pan flies to a second story window to like look in. And I went on the internet and was like, how tall is a story? And obviously it varies from building to building. Uh, but it seems like this is, you know, an old school, probably very high ceilinged building. I'm going to say it's probably at least 30 feet that mm-hmm. he's gone. And that seems to be like stretching the limits of how far he can go. And I think previously it's been described as like, two or three meters so like 15 feet is the norm but Mm -hmm. obviously when pan is like a dolphin or a seagull he's going further away than that so i feel like this to me points to yes if your demon is something that flies or swims they just by default have to be able to get further away from you than a land-based creature right um my only other thing is that we get some pretty detailed witch magic from Seraphina Pecola, which fails, unfortunately, probably because of, I think, maybe the sort of nature of the subtle knife is maybe even beyond their natural witch powers. Or maybe it's because they're like not in Lyra's world. It's just like interesting. We get this like very intricate sort of healing spell. Right. And it still doesn't heal. Right. And it's obviously the spell is 
pretty effective because it brings a rabbit back to life. So right, and seems to heal its like emotional trauma too because it like they put it down and it's like totally unbothered and then it's like oh fuck humans and like runs yeah. away. <laughs> right, right. So I don't know. That was interesting, but like. I think kind of cool because I feel like a lot of time in fantasy you have, you often don't have magic that just doesn't work. Like you could, like you complete the thing correctly, but it still doesn't work. Right. Yeah. And I maybe just imagine it somehow the witches have like a natural magic and just the knife itself is this sort of terrible blood soaked creation. Right. You know, like otherworldly terrible bloody thing that just is like you can't just heal with like some nature even though it's healed with blood not moss which i think definitionally is also some nature that's true i mean it is a salve which maybe i don't know if that sort of extra step of creating a salve versus just straight up blood moss is enough i don't know i actually this is part of what i have here is just just this deep deep confusion about how the fuck all of the other bearers healed from their knife wounds i mean giacomo is like use this neosporin like it's gonna work and he had his fingers cut off so did neosporin work for him like clearly he didn't bleed to death or die of sepsis so you know this is actually also a really good question because it's like you would think that if because he, cause he even says that there's normally like a whole ceremony. It takes weeks after we get a new knife bear. And I'm like, so you're clearly prepared for this. So like, how did you not bleed out? Right. Because <laughs> like, Will is like on the precipice of bleeding out for like two days. Right. So yeah, it is, it is very confusing what is going on with that. Yeah. Okay. And then my last thing here is that everyone's like what do specters eat i think they eat demons whatever and then we see that in fact demons disappear when you get spectered but the specter has to interact with the human body part of the person which i think doesn't make any fucking sense i would assume that a witch for instance would be able to walk around in chitagatsi totally fine as long as their demon was flying in the air Mm-hmm. Because, like, the part that the specters eat is not accessible. So, like, when Lena, what's-her-face, is spectered, it should just go f- for her demon. Like, I don't get it. It doesn't, it seems so weird to me and, like, just an error in the world building, personally, I think. That just makes sense because I feel like, I'm like, no, the specter eats her demon and you're like, oh, you're right. Right. She's just upset while the specter is like near her demon. That's not a big enough word, you know, but like, yeah, she's experiencing this distress. But then to actually get spectered, it has to like get to her, her person body, human body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that's incorrect. <laughs> so. Or also somehow worse, because then it's eating the soul part of you that would normally go to the world of the dead. Surely not. Right. I don't know. Because if not, then the world building is faulty. But like, I don't think we, I don't know if we, we don't interact with anyone in the world of dead in the next book that I think has been eaten by a specter. So it's like, Hmm. I don't know. 
But I would think that if that was the case, then your demon would stay because nothing would have happened to like sever that connection. It just also would be indifferent until the two of you died of dehydration. That's true. Ooh, maybe this is a correction. Yeah, no, that is weird. No answers. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Unless there's anything else you want to add before we wrap up. No, I don't have anything else. Cool. We did it in less than an hour and a half. Good job, us. All right. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of The Gaily Planet. Um, Please check the show notes for all of the things. And we'll be back in two weeks with our discussion of Chuck Tingle's Camp Damascus. Woohoo! Yay! And until then... Blood Moth. God killer. Hell yeah. (laughs) Thank you.